0: sure that uh, all of you or or most of you would have known mabel roberts Willem and mabel roberts Uh, mabel died several days ago and um, the funeral is on thursday at 12 o'clock some of you have been in touch with the with the family and Gwilym Roberts uh, sends his thanks and his appreciation for your prayers at this time. That's Mabel, Mabel Roberts from our congregation in Kaigurale. Very glad to be with you again and uh, to share fellowship with you in the Gospel. I wonder when you last read the book of Job? Oh, I'm not asking to, for you to say, but I wonder. It's, it's not the most popular book in the Bible, is it? And uh, at times, of course, it's, it, it's not easy to follow. And yet it's a part of the Word of God. It's there in the Bible for our benefit, for our instruction. And down through the long ages, of the Christian church and indeed before that, uh, godly men and women have uh, come to value it and to draw on some of its its riches. It's very interesting that John Calvin has left us no commentary on Job. He preached carefully through most of the books of Scripture, just omitting one or two. He didn't preach on the book of, of Revelation. And he didn't, he didn't uh, produce a commentary on Job. But he did preach 159 sermons on Job. And we have the benefit of that. The Banner of Truth reprinted them for us some years ago. One of the Puritans, a man called Joseph Carroll, Wrote a twelve volume commentary on the Book of Job, which I suspect is very rarely read uh, in these days, though Joseph Carroll was a good man. When Howell Jones, to come back into our age, when Howell Jones was at Grove Chapel, he preached a series of sermons on the Book of Job, and we had some friends there at the time (coughs) and uh, they told us how enormously helpful that uh, series was. If you want to know (coughs) what is the best commentary uh, and the most straightforward commentary to read on the Book of Job, then in my opinion it would be Derek Thomas's commentary in the Wellin series. So enough by way of introduction. Most preachers simply dig out the jewels from the book of Job and preach on those texts, and I include myself among them. The Lord gave, and the Lord has taken away. Blessed be the name of the Lord. I know that my Redeemer liveth. Oh, that there were a daysman between us, a mediator, he might lay his hands on us both have you considered the treasures of the snow when I was in the RAF stationed down at St Athan for a while in South Wales Paul Tucker was the minister of Princes Street in Barry and uh, I worshipped there on the Sundays that I was in that region and I remember Paul Tucker preaching on that on that uh, text. Have you considered the treasures of the snow? And in those days I took notes carefully and wrote them up and I have those notes at home and still value. Oh, that I knew where I might find him, but he knows the way that I take. Oh, the book of Job has jewels in it and preachers through the ages have gone for those jewels and I make no criticism of that. And yet of course the book of Job itself has a message. There are big themes running through this book. (coughs) could say that the book of Job is about the problem of suffering. It asks the question why does God allow me to suffer when I seek to follow him and I seek to live under the authority and power of his word? Job asked those questions again and again. Sometimes, sometimes with in great distress, those questions came from Job. Why, Lord? Why? Desperate feeling behind those questions. It's not a straightforward book. It does contain dark and difficult passages and yet, and yet it's a part of the Word of God and it has treasure there which we need to dig at. A man who was the successor to John Calvin, a man called Theodore Beezer, <coughs> he published a commentary on the book of Job. bold man to do that but he but he wrote this at the beginning there are many dark and hard places and i must sail among rocks and yet i hope i shall still not make shipwreck well there you are the best of men have found difficulties here my own this morning is simply to introduce that book to you, to encourage you to read it in spite of its hard places. I believe there is much here that would help us. We all of us at one time or another face sufferings. And we all of us at times ask the question, Why, Lord? Why? The book of Job is very helpful to us particularly in those situations chapters 1 and 2 are essential to the whole book you must read the opening chapters you can't just dip into the book of job anywhere if you want to if you want to get the message of job then you must read the first chapters There's only one reference to the book of Job in the New Testament. That's in James. You have heard of the steadfastness of Job. You've heard of the patience of Job. It's become proverb, hasn't it? We'll say of someone, she has the patience of Job. Even people who don't know the Bible, they they know that phrase. It's entered into our language. It's become proverbial. Job in many ways was devastated by his his troubles and uh, his calamities. At times he lashed out at all around him. He complained bitterly to God at times and yet, and yet he persevered. The faith of Job is always there. And the Scripture says God blessed the latter part of Job's life more than the first. The Lord brought him through that troubled period. But I say we must read the first chapters of Job to get an introduction to the book. And I was going to illustrate that in this way. When I was a fairly young Christian, I came across Professor John Murray's book, Redemption, Accomplished and Applied. I guess that was the hardest book I'd tried to read uh, up to that date. And a friend said to me, Well, if you're struggling, why don't you read the second half of the book first and then? redemption accomplished, Uh, sorry, redemption applied, and then read the first part. And there was some wisdom in that. That's what I did, and I got some help from that. But you can't do that with the book of Job. You must read the opening chapters, Job's introduction to this great book. So I want to look just briefly this morning at the first chapter and perhaps a glimpse of the second. First of all, the first thing we're told here in the book of Job was that Job was a man of God. And he was an outstanding man. We're told Job was blameless and upright. Now you you mustn't read into that sinlessness. The Bible doesn't mean that when it says about a man that he was blameless doesn't mean that he was entirely without sin but that he was upright that no one could bring any accusation against him there was something bright and shining and clear about his life and that was was true of the life of Job he was a man who feared God and who shunned evil those two things so... Vital, the fear of God and the shunning of evil. Now, it's a temptation to think that the little expression, the fear of God, is simply an Old Testament phrase and we leave it behind when we come to the New Testament. But Of course, that isn't true. It's there in the New Testament as well. The other temptation is to think, to have a wrong view of this fear, to think this is a kind of craven fear that the bible is talking about. That's not true. This is a childlike fear. The kind of uh, loving reverence that a child is to have for its parents. It's not contrary to love. That a man fear God doesn't mean that he doesn't love God, the very reverse. It means that he does love God. Love for God and holy reverence and fear for God belong together in the Scriptures. And we need to cultivate both in our lives. Job feared God and he shunned evil. God give us grace more and more day by day to shun evil wherever we see it and wherever we are, are able to run from it. They're akin, really, to those two things that you have so often in the New Testament. Faith and repentance. Fear of God and shunning evil have the same kind of, uh, of connotations as, as faith and repentance. Thomas Watson, the old Puritan, says that these are the two wings by which we fly to heaven. Faith and repentance. Philip Henry, the uh, father of Matthew Henry, was once challenged that that he preached too often on repentance. And he made this answer. He said, if God spares me in this world, I wish to live preaching repentance. But he says, if God takes me away and my, my, my dying day comes, I wish to practice repentance. He saw the importance of repentance and faith. Twin graces in the life of the Christian. And then the second thing here is that you have this strange scene in heaven. I'm sure it struck you as strange. Verses 6 to 12. The angels gather around the throne of God and Satan comes with them. If you have an authorised version does it say angels? No, it says the sons of God, I think doesn't it? Gathered around the throne but I think undoubtedly these are angels gathering around the throne of God there's nothing to indicate that, that Job was present here I think it's very helpful to recognize that, that Job didn't know all that's in the Book of Job Job wasn't present when the Lord said, have you considered my servant Job? Job didn't hear that. You he need to bear that in mind. Here is something that we know, as it were, about Job at this stage, but that Job didn't know about himself. I, that's helpful to us. God holds you up as a trophy of his grace an emblem of his glory in a poor dying world of course that's not always how it appears to us we see our frailty our sinfulness our foolishness and yet by the grace of god we're in his hand and we're precious to him so It's a strange and a wonderful scene. God challenges Satan. Have you considered my servant Job? God holds him up before all the powers of darkness. There is none on earth like him. He is blameless and upright. He fears God. He shuns evil. Think of that. God took this man. A trophy of his grace one in whose life God, as it were, holds him up before all the powers of darkness. It says, have you considered him? Extraordinary passage. God, as it were, uh, taunts Satan. Once Job, like us all, belonged to the kingdom of Satan, was in the hand of Satan, But grace took him out of the hand of Satan. Grace took him out of the darkness there. Made him a trophy and an emblem of the glory of God. How wonderful that is. How wonderful it is about you and I. You're a Christian this morning. You're a trophy of his grace. You are what you are by the grace of God. Oh, there are blemishes still in you and I. God hasn't finished with me yet. He's still molding. He's still shaping. He's doing that with you. But how wonderful. We no longer belong to the kingdom of darkness. We no longer are the slaves of Satan. We're no longer under the dominion of sin. The dominion of sin in your life has been broken. It's still there. It still troubles you. But it no longer reigns as once it did. You're a trophy of grace. And then Satan's cynical answer does Job fear God for nothing? You see what he's saying? Does Job fear God only for what he can get out of it? You put a hedge around him all that he owns. Everything has gone well for this man. Look at his wealth and his possessions. Take these away and he'll curse you to your face. It's a challenge, not just to Job. It was a challenge to God, to the power of God's grace and love in this man, Job. And it's helpful to remember that. That when Satan attacks you, He really has the throne of God in view. He attacks the Lord, as it were, through you and in you. It's the Lord that he's attacking and wishes to shame and, uh, if he could, but he can't, to disgrace. Something we need to see in our own lives. Satan's real challenge is not simply to Job, it's to God. And when temptations come to you and Satan attacks you, it's not just you. It's the throne of God. The throne of God and the grace of God as it's present in your life and that thought ought to make us jealous for the glory of god and for the grace of god satan aims to dishonor god in your life and in mine but remember this too satan is a defeated foe oh yes he comes and roars like a lion But he is a defeated foe. You say, well, defeated in the future? No, no. He was defeated at Calvary. The great battle against sin and Satan were fought at Calvary and were won. And leave no other battles that need to be fought, as it were. The victory is gained. You say, what about the battles we fight? Well, We're working out the victory of Calvary. The victory that Christ gained on the cross is being worked out in your life and in mine. And so uh, God gives Satan permission to attack Job. But you notice that it's God who sets the boundaries it's not a free for all Satan can't do what he likes God says thus far no further. That's tremendously helpful to remember that you're not exposed to all the might and evil plotting and schemes of Satan without boundaries no no God's hand is there. God says thus far, no further. He's guarding, keeping, defending. He was with Job and he is with you. You're not in the hands of Satan, never. You're in the hands of God. Even even our lowest times, even when we've failed wretchedly and sinned wretchedly, we don't belong to Satan we belong to God it's one of the great truths that restores our souls when we're low I'm his and even when I've fallen I'm still his how comforting that really is so thirdly then the scene changes and we move from this strange scene in heaven and around the throne back to the earth and the storm breaks in Job's life the details are all here I don't intend to go into into detail Job has sorrow upon sorrow loss upon loss and Satan is poised waiting for Job to curse God that's the picture Satan comes and strips all these things away. All his possessions. And his children, who he loved, they're gone. And Satan is waiting for Job to curse God. But that curse never comes. It never comes. You've got these matchless worlds. The Lord gave and the Lord has taken away. Blessed be the name of the Lord. That doesn't mean that Job understood it all. But he knew that God was in control. That what God gave in this world, he had the right to take away. And that God acted in infinite wisdom and in infinite love. And that's our position. The scripture doesn't promise that you'll understand every trial that comes. Or you'll be able to see just what the Lord is doing here. The scripture doesn't promise that. Sometimes the children of God walk in a measure of darkness. Don't know why this has happened or where this path leads we only know that we're in the hands of God and he does all things well God's hand is in our sorrows as well as in our joys the old catechism the Heidelberg catechism which you can Translate into English, you can read it. it says, what do you mean by the providence of God? This is the catechism now. Part of the answer. Health and sickness, riches and poverty, yea, all things come, not by chance, but by his fatherly hand. Oh, it's That's a glorious thing, isn't it, to hold on to. Not that I understand it all. Not that I can see all the strange ways of providence. But, oh, I know that God does all things well, even in my sorrows, even in my dark times. Again, the catechism. What benefit is there in knowing that God rules in all things? that we may be patient in adversity, thankful in prosperity, and have good confidence in our faithful God and Father. It's very good, isn't it? So, Satan attacks Job. It's a hard day for him. A little incident here that's very hard to understand. Job's wife, the very one who you would have expected to give him good counsel, and she doesn't. She doesn't. She says to Job in the midst of his troubles, curse God and die. It's the counsel of hopelessness. It's the counsel of despair. That's very sad. We don't know anything anything else about Job's wife. She may, she may have been a good woman, but she'd, she'd come to the end of her tether, as it were, and she'd sunk here. We simply don't know. But it must have added to Job's troubles, to the sharpness of the situation, that his wife didn't stand with him, was, didn't understand at all what was happening to him. In all this the scripture says Job did not sin or curse God. It's lovely isn't it? In all this and then just a, a glance before we close really at Job's three friends because they're so prominent of course in the book Eliphaz the Temanite Bildad the Shuhite and Zophar the Naamathite. These three men, they were his friends and his counsellors, and we mustn't dismiss them. They were real friends to him. They were very unwise counsellors, but they were his friends. And when all these sorrows came upon Job, they, they sat with him and they shared his sorrow. So we mustn't uh, dismiss these men. But the counsel of course that they gave to Job was in the end very wrong. They proved poor counsellors. big question that troubled Job was, I have sought to live a godly life. To live in your fear and favor. And yet all these troubles have come on me. All these sorrows. Why? Why? Why did Job suffer? Now if you read the book of Job. His friends who became counselors to him. Gave him advice. His friends were quite clear as to why these sufferings had come on Job they said to him, they've come on you because you've sinned you sinned in some particular way and these troubles are judgments upon you that's what they said to him and they said it again and again and it hurt it really hurt Job because they were wrong they were wrong the same thing happens today in Christian congregations sometimes. You get that kind of view that, um, that says now, suffering is con- has continued in your life because of lack of faith. If only you had faith enough, you could be healed. You could be free of your cancer or whatever. And of course when healing doesn't come then the Christian is left feeling that the fault is his that was what was happening with Job these counselors were saying to Job you brought it on yourself it's your sin confess your sins and then these troubles will be taken away but it was not it was not true. Suffering came upon Job for a different reason. Job was a man like us. He was frail, he was sinful, he lived in a sinful world, and in that sense he suffered because of sin, as we all do, because this is a fallen world. All that was true of Job. But it was not true that these troubles had come on Job because of particular sins, and it's not true that these were judgments upon Job. That's what his friends said they were, but they weren't. You have an example of this in the the New Testament. Do you remember when the Apostle Paul had what he called a thorn in the flesh? We don't know what it was, but oh, it troubled the Apostle Paul. Maybe, maybe limited his, his missionary service, we don't know. One theory has been that he was suffering from the loss of sight, that his sight was going. There are hints that could be interpreted in that way in the Scriptures, but whatever it was, it deeply troubled Paul. And he obviously felt that it hindered his sphere of service. And the scripture says he prayed three times. I presume that means three sessions of prayer. Oh Lord, take this thorn away. The Lord didn't the Lord said to him, my grace is sufficient for you. I have gracious purposes in this thorn in your life. It's there for good reasons. But I'll give you the grace to bear with it. You see, it wasn't a judgement on Paul's sins. It was an instrument for his sanctification, for his growth in grace and in the knowledge of the Lord Jesus Christ. Like Job, he suffered in order that God might in him for the ages to come display the sufficiency of his grace and of his love and of his power in the life of this man Job in the end those marvelous words the Lord gave and the Lord has taken away blessed be the name of the Lord Uh, we quote those words in in uh, funerals don't we but you know they have a wider application than that we can find ourselves in the loss of strength the loss of, uh, of health, the loss of hearing, sight, mobility. Are they are precious to us and yet they go and we have to say, the Lord gave and the Lord has taken away, blessed be the name of the Lord book of Job worth having a go at are we going to sing 752 hymn by Joseph Parker not be happy about everything about Joseph Parker but he left us a good hymn God holds the key of all unknown, and I am glad. If other hands should hold the key, or if he trusted it to me, I might be sad. 752 God that your word may abide in our hearts help us O oh Lord to apply it in our own lives and to believe it grant us O oh Lord the help of your Holy Spirit in these things that we O oh Lord may live under the power of your word day by day that our lives may be shaped and formed and changed by the power of your word the likeness of Christ formed in us more and more. Hear us then. The grace of our Lord Jesus Christ and the love of God and the fellowship of the Holy Spirit
1: rest and remain with us now and evermore. Amen.